Welcome to Definitely Something with your hosts Lucas Bean and Tim Cook. I'm more of a frappuccino, no caffeine, little caffeine type guy. No whipped cream either. <laughs> no whipped cream. All right, let's see how you roll. Actually, I was at a I was at a coffee shop with a friend the other day, and I, he was just like, "Yeah, man, I'm gonna need some like you put some like cream in that," and I'm like. Huh, what's he asking for? He's like, no, I want some whipped cream on that. I'm like, what? I'm like, what? You just got a cappuccino, you want whipped cream on it? What's the difference between fraps and caps? Um, it's a really good question. I actually think uh, cappuccino is um, coffee with heavy cream foamed on top of it. So you pour foam on top of it, usually like heated up foamed, uh, yeah, foamed up milk, and then I don't know what the I don't know the, what makes up a frap except for like just like really bad stuff for you. You know what I mean? Like, I think fraps are cold, aren't they? Fraps are ice, yeah, like usually ice, uh, ice coffee. Yeah, usually I order mine cold. It's very frappy of you. <laughs> I gotta get fond of uh, caffeine in general. I'm not really like a soda drinker or a coffee drinker. Um, you when don't I even usually... drink soda. No, nah, I definitely don't drink soda. I drink coffee before I drink soda, for sure. That's crazy, man. Yeah, I don't drink soda. I haven't drank soda in, like, decades. So, I don't even remember the last time. But, man, did I drink soda as a kid. Woo! So much soda involved. It's not good. I think we all did whenever we were younger. What was one of your favorite types of soda? Sprite, man. I was sprited to the teeth. Like, I could not get enough Sprite. Bro, Sprite is one of those drinks that can go good with anything. I wasn't really a Coca-Cola fan. If you drink, like, so much Sprite, at some point, it doesn't go with anything anymore. You're just like, screw Sprite. I want nothing to do with Sprite moving forward. Yikes. Were you a Coca-Cola fan? No, I was a Sprite guy. All I drank was Sprite. Coke was like a distant, like, third, I would say. Oh. Yep, I'm drinking some coffee now, some iced coffee right now. Let me tell you, it is not working. (laughs) That was not a yawn, was it, Mr. Bean? No, no, I don't yawn. I'm not a yawner. Jeez. He's not a yawner, individuals. He's not a yawner. Welcome, everyone. You're live.fm with Lucas Bean and Tim Cook. Good morning, good morning, good morning. What's up, Wonder? DeFi Roxy. Yep, we just got to start off the show, I guess. Let's just do it, Tim. So I got a couple of cool things in the news that I wanted to talk about. Um, Did you guys know that? Uh, NFTs are actually being investigated by the U.S. Patent and Trademark uh, Office because of all of the backlog NFTs are creating for people. So right now they're making sure to find, they're trying to find out whether or not to staff up, like to hire more people. I don't know if you got a chance to look at this or uh, read about it, but it's there's definitely some information out there that's basically saying that they're having too much of an influx of uh, intellectual property rights managements and stuff like that. And they basically overwhelm the, the 
trademark and patent office with all their with all this information coming from NFTs. So, from my understanding, if I'm right or wrong, please correct me. You're saying that the government is hiring more individuals to work in the trademark industry because NFTs have become such a what a, a thing and a burden. more more work for them. Yeah. So what they're doing is investigating the idea that it's creating more of a burden on the system. So they have to decide whether or not to hire more people. Um, and the way the way examination works for the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office is they hire uh, already practicing attorneys, and they put that in with their work. Basically, they say, "Hey, you know what? You're going to do here's some work for you." And they basically it's just like a consistent like. Uh, form of income for attorneys as well. So they can actually work for the government and also do work on the side, you know, same kind of thing. So it's actually a really good thing. Um, it's also a great thing if it, you know, if it goes through because uh, a trademark now takes like, for anybody to even write back to you after you file for a trademark, it takes six to 12 months just to hear back from them, just for your trademark application to be looked at. So you could submit a trademark application today and it won't be looked at for possibly up to a year. This is with, so. this is without NFTs, right? This is just like the regular process. Correct. Yeah, correct. So I've, I've filed for a lot. I've had, I have a lot of trademarks and stuff like that. So like it definitely, someday, sometimes it takes less time. Some most, most of the time it takes, like I said, between six and 12 months. And I would say it's usually on the later side, 12, the eight to 12 month range. And that was before pandemic when people were all locked up, couldn't go anywhere. So now it's actually escalated, I'm sure at this point. So, um, and now NFTs, of course, in 20, late 2020, early 2021, all of a sudden people are going crazy for trademarks and they want to be able to make, you know, t-shirts with their NFTs and things like that. So that, that right there alone is, you know, going to be a burdensome burden a burden to the system. So I thought that was interesting to read today. That is pretty interesting. Is there like a base price for a trademark or I know it varies, but is, is it like a base price as in the process? Cause I know it takes time. You're saying like six to eight months. So I'm guessing this is at least a couple hundred and, but yeah. I'm, I'm not aware of the, the process. Yeah, I don't. I honestly don't know if the prices have changed. They probably have, but it's two hundred fifty dollars for a trademark in a single class. There's a lot. There's a lot to this, but simple oversimplified. It's like two hundred fifty dollars per class, and then um, meaning class of what you're doing. So if like you have a trademark, you are, you're trying to get a trademark for a let's just say a certain word, like saying "Hey, um, dream catchers." And under Dreamcatchers, you want it to be used for uh, apparel, right? That's a very certain, that's a very specific certain class. Like you have to say, I want to be able to use it on hats and and shirts and everywhere like that. And that's, you know, that's a specific class you're asking for. That's about 250 to $300 to like submit that one. But then you have to decide whether or not you want to work with an attorney to do that. And uh, they, they charge money too, because just in case you, you apply for a trademark. And that trademark gets, you know, has some issues with it. They would they would write back and say, hey, you know what? The, the trademark attorney that's attached to that trademark 
will say, hey, we need some more information from you. And then you have your attorney speak back and forth so you can actually not have to waste your time doing it. So it's kind of nice um, to have an attorney that does that. So, um, and there are definitely issues that come up sometimes and it's, you, how do you answer? Like I filed the trademark and I've done the entire process myself before. And it was not the best. And I still got the trademark, but it took a lot longer. And if I had the attorney I have now, which I started working with in 2015, he um, is just awesome. Like really good dude. Uh, knows his stuff. All he does is trademarks all day long. So of course he's an expert at it and uh, it'd be worth it. So trademarks can also cost you a lot of money too. So if you want to have a lot of broad coverage, you could get like a trademark under, oh, I want to do apparel for dream catchers. And then you are like, you know what? I also want to marketing. I'm going to start a marketing and social uh, media company with it. And I'm going to do dream catchers under that class. So for every class you file under, that's a different, that doesn't have a, the same category, you would actually have to pay another $250, $300 just to file for those classes. So it could, it adds up real quick. Like you could be paying like $2,000 if you decide you need to cover all these classes. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and then on top of that, the attorney fees and stuff. So it's not it's cheap, like man. Some words, for instance, like dream catchers, it can't be trademark, right? Since it's so commonly used in that? Um, you can under a class, certain class of like what you're trying to do. And you could you could especially use it. I'm no trademark attorney, so like this is not trademark advice. <laughs> but uh you could you could absolutely get a trademark for what you're doing and just like submit like your logo, submit a couple of things that make it super unique. And then it, that trademark is protected under that logo and uh, how you're basically how you're using it. So it definitely mm. works. That's some good alpha, especially seeing that NFTs are something new. And I know a lot of businesses are started and they want to uh, find that logo, find that symbol or whatnot to represent them in their product or project. Right. Yeah, so in other news, I don't know if you saw that CryptoPunk 4156, uh, there was a huge bid for a CryptoPunk $3.1 million. Sheesh, so, is I that? Don't know what's, I don't know what's going on, but you know what I mean? Like, a, if we're in a bear market, like, why are people buying CryptoPunks for, uh, you know what I mean? $3.1 million. So it's pretty crazy. I mean, it's a unique crypto punk. It's definitely interesting looking, but I don't know, man. I don't know if that's uh, that person, whoever's bidding on it, has got a, obviously quite a bit of capital lying around. Do you think it was overpriced for right now, seeing that we're in a bear market? Um, you could have bought a crypto punk. Like a, I mean, depending on what you want for CryptoPunks, but you could have bought a floor CryptoPunk a month ago, just a month ago, maybe just a month, maybe a month and a week ago. They were super cheap, actually, compared to this CryptoPunk. So you could have bought one for like $57,000 if you would have bought a CryptoPunk during this, during the, uh, when the bear market kind of hit us and everybody was like not buying or minting anything. You could easily bought a CryptoPunk for that price. So now the floor of the CryptoPunks is literally more than doubled now. So you could what, literally what is bought the floor right 50, now? 57 grand. Um, $125,000. So 
Yeah, just imagine if you bought a floor CryptoPunk, you've spent 57 grand on it, and the floor has already gone up to 128,000. So you're doing, you'd be doing pretty good right now. Would you say Bored Apes is number one right now and CryptoPunks is number two? Um, in terms of price, yes. In terms of like providence and like OG factor, I'd say CryptoPunks are where it's at. People don't see Bored Apes the same way they see CryptoPunks. Really? Why do you think that is? Because I've always wondered what oh, it's, one it's of the biggest pro- differences. It's the provenance, my man. It's the provenance. Like CryptoPunks came out in 2017 and Bored Apes came out in 2021. So they were the first digital on-chain collective art, at least one of them, right? So yeah, that and like CryptoKitties around the same time. CryptoKitties, <laughs> they kept multiplying man there's like millions of them now where CryptoPunks is still only ten thousand, and a lot of there's i know people that actually have like 175 CryptoPunks in their wallets like they've collected so many that like they control the supply so you can't really get a hold of them you know they try to make it so that they uh the value of the CryptoPunk is super expensive still so i heard you have like 30 of them yeah, only like you know, thirty-one to be exact. I mean, let's be let's be let's be real here, man. 31. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. For clarification, I don't know what he has. I definitely don't have a crypto punk, man. If I had a crypto punk, would I be here right now, man? Oof. The answer is yes. By the way, Oof. yeah. Anyway, three point one million dollars for crypto punks. Like, damn, man, that's crazy. But uh, I wonder yeah, how so- many ETH that is. It's uh, it, it is exactly twenty six twenty six hundred and ninety ETH, so two thousand six hundred and ninety ETH. Isn't that crazy, dude? Two thousand six hundred and ninety Ethereum. Imagine when that goes up, though. Like whoever, say that was an actual ETH instead of like the actual NFT. That is a lot of ETH to like possess. <laughs> yeah, dude, crazy amount. Too speaking much. of ETH, speaking of ETH, like. I seen the market last night before I went to bed and it was, I was in the green. Uh, a lot of my cryptos was in the green. What do you think happened last night? I don't know if you know anything uh, that I missed, but I was pretty happy with taking some profits last night. Nice. Yeah. You definitely always never be afraid to take profit. Anybody that tells you to be afraid to take profit is probably not going to be profitable. Um, I think it's interesting because we we are in a bear market, but ETH and you know usually crypto bounces back reasonably quick when we go into markets like this. Like we keep trying to compare it to like 2018, and you can't really compare like what blockchain did, like what cryptocurrencies did in 2018 to now. Things are so like drastically different in terms of like people using ETH uh, for what it's actually what it, what it was actually made for you know it's not just a cur- cryptocurrency it's it actually has like crazy crazy utility so I mean you can't compare oh we were down for this long in 2018 you know and everybody kind of gave up on ETH and it just went flat or actually dropped in value and it's like yeah 
it's too late for that now. Like it's only going to go so low and then it's going to go right back up. So I think uh, there's definitely a huge possibility for ETH to rally back up. There's also a chance that this is just a bounce back. Like, you know, like there's resistance at certain levels of Ethereum and there's a resistance level around 14, 14 and change right now. And it's at that resistance level. So, uh, I'm looking at it right now. And it's I actually need to, I, right? I actually probably need to take some more profit on some things. I'm up a little bit more than I was last night too. But like you said, cryptocurrency is different uh, now. You can't compare it like you did. What was it like a couple years ago, let alone half of that, right? When was the last bear market actually? It was, uh, it depends on like what you want to call bear market and how long uh, it lasts. There was a bear in 2020, 2021. I mean, we had a small downturn in like prices right after people started coming out of the pandemic. Um, I think it was like around, what was it? May or June, like ETH kind of dropped a little bit. So it didn't last very long. And then we also had a super bear, like I would say, Oh, sorry. I'm thinking of bull. Uh, yeah, bear market. That was that was definitely the time when there was a bear. Like, think about it. ETH actually went up to almost like I think it was like four thousand dollars in November slash December time period. So that was a good time to have like a lot of ETH on you. You should definitely have taken profit and waited for ETH to re, you know, go back down again because there's no ETH and just like any other stock, it always has like cycles. There's, it's never, there's never an opportunity for ETH to always just keep going up. There's always going to be a time when ETH goes down as well. So just nothing know that goes these, up forever. That sounds like nothing. the law of gravity. <laughs> right, man. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So nothing goes up forever for sure. So like ETH is definitely a good time to like, there's definitely a good time to take profit. Not that I'm a financial advisor because I'm not Tim, but uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's an interesting scenario. Um, definitely taking profit like i the story of uh my brothers investing in penny stocks man uh, that's the one of the funnier stories although it, it's a painful story for them i'm sure um they invested in penny stocks and they were like oh no um, i i have too much conviction in this company i think it's going to go to a hundred dollars a share they bought they bought in at like 30 cents a share they had like lots of shares too so they were like you know someone one of my brothers put in ten thousand dollars another one put in five it wrote that this penny stock went all the way up to like, by the time they talked to me about it, it was like $23, $24 a share. And I'm like, guys, Jeez. that's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. Like, go, you should, how much profit have you taken? Oh, I haven't taken anything out. I'm like, why? Like, investing means you actually take profit. Like, if you don't take profit, you don't have profit at the end of this. Like, what if the stock drops and you, you lose you know, half of its worth in like 24 hours, like you just lost like half of that possible gain. And they didn't understand the idea that taking profit was a good idea. They thought, oh, but if I leave it in, I'll have that much more money when it goes up. And it's like that mentality is the reason why a lot of people get into like crypto and then like, they're like, wait, what's going on? And then they lose it. You know, like all of a sudden they, invested they invested in eth at like you know a thousand dollars and all of a sudden it went up to three but they didn't take profit and they went right back down to a thousand dollars or like 1100 and all they did was make 
a hundred dollars on every single ETH they own, then it's like there's so much money to be made between that thousand and four thousand, right? So if you ever have a chance to get in on a on like a stock or a or any kind of uh, you know investment vehicle, whether it be cryptocurrency or anything else, it's don't be afraid to take profit. I mean, it's ridiculous not to even like think to take profit. Like no one should ever shame you into not taking profit. And by the way, you don't need to take profit that's like three thousand or three hundred percent, four hundred percent. Like it's okay to take profit at a hundred percent. It's okay to take profit at forty percent, depending on your circumstances, of course. Right. So. I agree. I agree. Are you into stocks as much as you are into cryptocurrency? Yeah, I've been in the stocks for decades. So, yeah, man, I, I, uh, I not investing in stocks currently. I kind of like exited my stock position. Um, at the beginning of this year, I was just like, you know what? I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna be out of stocks for a while. Just they were a little too turbulent, up and down, and stuff like that. And then I knew there was another market coming where you can actually a buyer's market coming up. So I'm deciding on whether I want to put my money into which stocks and stuff like this that. This is a buyer's market right now, right? Because of the way things. I'd say so. Yeah. I was saying that because um, I remember whenever the pandemic happened the start market went down just like um, some crypto did. And um, I was wishing that I invested during that time frame. And this is one of those markets where I'm trying to look for certain stocks, certain cryptos to ape into. Because in my personal opinion, times like this is when generational wealth is created or bigger opportunities. Absolutely. Staying liquid in times like this, so you can actually pull the trigger on some things, is critical. If you've got the money uh, and you don't need to that money to like eat and pay your bills and all that other stuff that comes with having money, then if you have some extra uh, change laying around liquidity, I would definitely wait until you find like a good spot and enter. But make sure you do your you know your analysis as much as possible, but don't let that analysis cause you paralysis. Don't let that analysis cause paralysis. I like that. Where did you hear that from? Oh, it's just a commonly known statement. Analysis paralysis. You do too many numbers uh, or you look at numbers too much where you, you can't decide on something and your analysis just you overanalyze and you overanalyze to a point where by the time you make a decision that the opportunity's passed. So better to make a decision than no decision sometimes and i think that's it's critical to make sure you understand that part and you heard it here first guys with lucas bean and tim cook <laughs> good morning <laughs> everyone if you all don't mind please like and retweet out the room me and lucas bean are here we're happy it's a great morning he has his coffee did you say you have your coffee yet? oh i got my coffee my man oh yeah by the way guys this is our first show so it might not be perfectly formatted yet, but I can tell you right now, it's going to be, by the end of this week, it's going to be a tight run ship. Like we're going to just know exactly what's up and that's, that's what we're going to do. So just an FYI. Um, yeah. And there's, let me just go through a little bit more news here. I don't know if you guys saw, like we get, they lost 20% of the workforce over at OpenSea. I wanted to want to get a little bit of like, clarity around that guys like how do you tim how do you feel about open like laying off 20 percent of its staff 
just like them and a couple more companies, I don't, I don't know what to think about. It's like mixed feelings, like, especially with some of the major exchanges, laying off people going into bankruptcy or OPC laying off these employ employees. It's like, what's going on with the market that we don't know about? Yeah, that's a valid question. That's, that's exactly what I'm thinking is like, what do they know that we don't know? Like they're already recessing and we're talking like, you know, Coinbase laid off a bunch, like all these. Definitely Coinbase. That, yeah. It's crazy. All these crypto companies keep laying people off. And, you know, one of the NFT space is like um, changing the way they're doing it, and especially OpenSea. I didn't even think they had that many employees, but they had like, I think they had just over, I think, so don't quote me on this, but like 300 employees and they laid off 20%. So. Like I said, I can't be sure that number should, you know, if anybody knows it. Is there a headquarters in a certain state or where is the yeah, headquarters? I believe, Are I they broken remotely? I believe it's uh, New York. Um, I believe that's where their headquarters is. New York City. Yeah, I'm not so saying that's a like, random place, but it's a pretty interesting location. Right? Sounds expensive. <laughs> right? Bro, speaking of expensive, this is a side note really quick. Um, one of my pals, he's uh, into real estate, and he was telling me the average cost of living in Manhattan right now is at 5K, bro. Oh, that's cheap, too. Like, to rent a place in New York City now, it's uh, just a crappy, I don't even know if it's a one-bedroom or not, but it's like four grand a month imagine that your own like one little bedroom barely has any room to walk around in um is like 4g's so it's like that's crazy to live in a city like that to me i think that kind of city living is crazy but then again you know i'm just some people love it i don't understand it myself but yeah so open sea i don't know how many employees it actually originally had i should probably have looked that up but um it says there's like a bunch of people attached to their. I wonder if somebody's going to spill the beans on the conversation that they had whenever they got laid off. It's usually someone that's going to tell a story about something they, that we, so they had, we don't know. They had, I was right about the number or close enough. I, they have 300 employees. They had 275 employees. And after the layoff, which was they dropped 40 employees on the layoff. So that's, that's quite a bit of people. Um, but, you know, usually they look at the numbers and find the folks that are not critical to uh, daily work. And uh, if, especially they look at their uh, performance via the numbers. And sometimes they lay off people, not because they want to, but um, for performance reasons and things like that. But that stinks though. Losing your, losing your job during a, a time like this where everything seems to be uncertain is really tough. And I just can't imagine how those folks feel right now. So we should just be hiring them, right? For our projects. Be like, Hey, open sea employees come work with us. Right. Give us a little insight on what we can do and what, what you all know. Um, do you think there's a, like, what do you think the reason is if you was to guess? Uh, the market turning you know 
Um, I think there's going to be a major recession coming and that major recession is going to affect a lot of things. And I think that's what they're doing. They're, they're looking at the numbers and they're looking at all the, basically all the signals out there and they're going, Hey, you know what? We need to cut staff headcount because, you know, fixed cost is usually some of the most expensive and yeah, there's a lot of hidden costs when you hire somebody, you know, healthcare, all this, there's like seriously so many and you just gotta like, reduce headcount, reduce fixed costs as much as you possibly can to set in for like a, I wouldn't call it a crypto winter. I would call it a recession. Right. And they need to, they need to, and when are they going to lay people off? Like during the, you know, prime of the recession, or should we lay these people off now so that they can actually have a chance of finding another job? Right. There's definitely a chance right now for them to like go and find another job and, yeah, I just hope some really... some people will argue that we're already in a recession. What would you argue? We are in. Uh, right we now? are. Yeah, we are. We're just we're just not. People aren't feeling the pain as much yet, so it's going to be a lot more pain. I mean, nine point one percent inflation rate, like that's insane. Again, 40, 40 year high. That's the kind of thing that we actually have to like. Those are the signals you watch. I mean, that's, I don't know if you saw that or not, but it was literally as soon as that news came out, OpenSea laid off 20% of their staff. So they, people are making decisions based on what the government is doing and the news that comes out of uh, that office where all these decisions are being made. So, yeah, I think, I think it's bad. I think it's really bad times and it's going to get worse. It's just my opinion. Um, I don't really know. I hope it gets worse and gets better faster. I hope people don't. Yeah, I just hope. I just hope it gets fast. I hope it gets better faster. And this is if this isn't a wake up call to people who don't do this yet. This is a wake up call, right? So don't rely on one revenue source or one income source. Have multiple income sources. And I know it's easy for me to say, but. It's actually a lot easier to do. It's just whether or not you want to binge binge watch like Netflix series or, you know, kind of like stabilize your future so that, you know, you have like a one revenue source creating a thousand dollars extra a month for you or five hundred dollars extra a month for you or whatever the whatever the money is. Cash flow. Um, cash flow's king. Yeah. Cash flow is definitely king. And building businesses or building little offshoots of what you're working on now could bring you revenue so that when you lose a large source of revenue, like your job for like, let's just say you lose your job and you have to find one for like in six months or whatever it is, that that six months isn't going to kill you and wipe you out. Right. If you have that one income, you're going to be dipping into your savings to like stay afloat. So um, yeah, just multiple sources of small and it's not even like, large income you don't have to have like large income coming from these these revenue sources it could be seven making five hundred dollars extra a month exactly that pays for things like food gas a light bill where you don't have to dip into your savings yeah that's thirty five hundred bucks a month for for doing next to you know if you automate what you're doing like it's next to nothing so i mean yeah i think it's interesting so 
What are some of the interesting um, cash flow things you have done in the past? Not nothing major, but something in regards to what you was referring to as in like getting a couple extra hundred dollars a month. Um, there's, I mean, you could go and be a copywriter. Or even friends, friends that you, you heard. Could, you could go and be a copywriter on like Fiverr or Upworks if you're good at writing things. And if you suck at writing things, you could still go and do that and practice writing and people will pay you to write, right? So at the end of the day, you could learn to write copy and get paid for it by signing up for, like I said, Upworks or Fiverr. And all of a sudden you could become good at writing copy in like a month or two. And instead of getting paid, you know, um, $100 a month to do it or $200 a month to like crank out some copy, you're get, just think of it as getting paid to learn how to write a copy better. What is copy so, exactly? Like copy on your website, like the copy for an advertising. Uh, oh, yep, you know, yep. An ad, uh, a copy for a product you're trying to sell, like writing the right copy. Let's just say you sell items on Amazon and you do drop shipment for Amazon. You, The person who writes the best product description usually wins like the ones that are best uh naturally search optimized and stuff like that using the right keywords and phrases those kind of things can make you like a number one seller on an item you find on alibaba for like five bucks and you go and sell that item for 20 on amazon the person who writes the best copy let's just say someone's trying to compete with you in that same product category they compete with you on price and also compete with you on copy and they'll be able to find you easier using their search uh, if you have your uh, copy search optimized Um, and that means the difference between selling five things for twenty dollars or selling five thousand things for twenty dollars you can make easily a hundred thousand dollars a year just off of one finding one product on alibaba putting it on amazon and bam that product sells like crazy but you got to keep doing that over and over and over and over again selling items finding new items that people want. It's not going to be an item that just lasts forever, I don't think. I mean, you got to figure out is. what the market wants. That's... Yeah, I think that's the interesting part. Find an item on Alibaba that solves a problem for you. If that item solves a problem for you, that means it solves a problem for a 100 or a 1,000 other people too. And all you have to do is figure out a smart and clever way to market that product that's now on Amazon for you. And then Amazon does all the drop shipping for you. You don't have to hold on to the item itself. Marketing is one of the keys. I know um, you was have a background in marketing and still do. Uh, you want to tell individuals a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm just, uh, I mean, I don't think I have a, the way I think of it is I'm a problem solver. And usually the largest item on a profit and loss statement is the marketing budget. And I just happen to find myself went over to a company called Sennheiser where they made microphones, headphones, really high-end stuff. And I was the, the North American marketing director for them. And, um, and it's only because like the best and, and like problems need to be solved in marketing usually. Like it's always a never ending like Rubik's cube. Like you might solve it today and then three days from now, that technique you're using for marketing isn't working anymore and you have to solve it again and then solve it again and solve it again. 
you can never stop solving the marketing problem, which means there's always a problem to solve. And I am a problem solver. Like it doesn't matter what category of business you put me in. I could be uh, chief operating officer. If that's where, you know, operations needs problems to fix, then I could go in and fix it. But usually operations can be fixed and then set on autopilot after it's fixed. And I've done that a couple of times too, or fix operation. So that is, you know, basically solving problems for every aspect of the business. Usually a CEO like eats or gets has to deal with like tons of shit that nobody else has to deal with. Basically the person that's like, what CEOs do is like everything that's a problem, they have to, they have to work with, they have to deal with all, all the crap so that their mana is there. The people that work for them can get their jobs done. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm good at marketing just because I'm good at problem solving. Right. So there's never, I always think that uh, like, if you don't, if you can't find a way, invent a way, make a way to do something. Like, don't ever get held back by, you know, oh, sorry, we can't do that. We don't know how to do it. Well, learn how to do it. You know, there's no excuse for not being able to solve a problem for me, at least. And that's why, you know, I don't know. I'm an analytics analytics guy. So if you tell me something can't be done then, and the numbers tell me different, then. Did you yeah. see yourself doing something of this nature whenever you were younger? Um, was there something that, or was there something else that you had your eyes on, but the way your life journey has been, it, it just went towards or to where you are at now, basically. I wanted to be a naval, a Navy aviator. I wanted to be a, a fighter pilot up until the time I was like 17. And uh, they finally told me, really? I, I probably, yeah, yeah. And they told me I could not be a fighter pilot because I was too tall and I'd probably black out wow. from g-forces and stuff and i probably wouldn't fit in a lot of the airplanes they had so they're like if you want to fly cargo planes no problem my man but you ain't flying jets i'm like what i was like what so yeah i was a little disappointed but it is what it is man and then uh you just gotta you just gotta pivot right i wasn't like dead set on it i was just like okay i guess i'm gonna figure something else out i had no idea zero idea everybody I had zero idea going into college what I wanted to do. Absolutely zero. Freshman year, no clue. Ended freshman year going, I still don't know what I want to do. I guess I'll figure it out soon. Sophomore year, no clue. But I guess I'll just figure it out, you know, in junior year. The good news is junior year, I did figure it out. And I was like, wow, this is really dope. And I was I was working a lot on the internet at the time and nobody really else was because the way the internet worked was either you used dial up, you know, through AOL or you were on a uh, computer at a major um, educational uh, institution. And that's where I was. I was logging in through this command prompt, Unix command prompt in order to like check my email. Like it was, it was crazy, right? Nowadays, it's like, oh, you just push a button and there's your email on Gmail or Hotmail or Yahoo or whatever email system you use. I don't know what you guys use, ProtonMail, whatever. I can tell you right now, email was not like that before. You know, it sucked to use. Uh, and it, there's no images and stuff like that. You couldn't send really too many things to people because you're on a network that had like zero speed. Even T1s like were like 
awful. But yeah, I had no idea, but I was working on the internet a lot. And then I was just like, you know what? This digital marketing stuff is going to be big. That's what I said. I go, this is going to be big. And I really like it. And I told my mom, junior year, it's like, hey, ma, I think I'm going to, this is a kid in me, clearly still. I'm like, hey, mom, I think I'm going to build, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to build websites for these major hotel brands in the Caribbean and I'm going to move to the Caribbean and live there while I build these websites and you know, all this, I didn't think of any tools at the time. I was just like, I'm going to build these websites and that's what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do for a living. Like I'm going to live in the Caribbean, build websites for all these major hotel brands and stuff like that, all these resorts. And that's going to be my career moving forward, not knowing what the future actually held clearly. I mean, you don't need to live in the Caribbean to develop a website in the Caribbean. So yeah, for me, like that was my child self going, yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to do. My mother thought I was going to be completely unemployable. She thought it was over with my career was done. And I was like, well, what does that even mean? She's like, you're going to be both my mom and dad were like, yeah, this internet thing's a fad. Like, what are you talking about? It's no big deal. Nobody cares about it. Be a doctor, be a lawyer. Sounds uh, like the be, Bill Gates story. Is that, isn't it? Or is it in Bill Gates? I don't know. Who, uh, who Bill, was Bill Gates? Bill Gates had it made. Um, Bill Gates actually was one person in the world at the time when he, he's one of the only people that had access to the internet. Uh, him and uh, Steve Wozniak. Steve Wozniak manages a computer lab at Washington State, and it cost thousands of dollars to use the, uh, a computer attached to the internet at the time. Yeah, that's and what I was referring to, because a lot of people didn't believe that the internet was going to be a big thing, I feel. I, I, I don't remember what TV show. It was, but it was uh -oh, one of those late a TV show. Oh, it was God. no, it was one of those late night TV shows uh, a while ago. And like Bill a Gates History had Channel interview. show, like a documentary. Like, what do you mean? It was a late oh, night. Was... It was a late night TV show. Like a TV, like a, TV like show. A, like a late night talk show. That's what I'm trying to say. Oh, talk show. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, because um, he got interviewed, and that was oh, one yeah. of the things that he was saying. Um, his country club, his country club, his parent go figure, the country club his parents belonged to, he was already wealthy. He came from a wealthy family. Um, so he had access to this terminal that they bought for the country club that he stayed at, and no one used it. So he had, he had open access to the internet on this free terminal, and that's how he became so good and so smart about what computers actually need he was typing away on command lines command prompts going wow this is this sucks and that's where microsoft came out of is you know a kind of like a visual interface so that was the that was the key to making microsoft the giant monster it is now same thing with uh wozniak he learned how to um he was the manager of the computer lab, like I said, at Washington, and no one was using it because it was so expensive. And any downtime he was able to use for free, the, the space, so. Interesting story. I know everyone has a story. Everyone has an origin of something. 
And right? I know a lot of people are curious just about um, certain certain things. And I was uh, curious to what you were thinking about whenever you were younger. Because, yeah, uh, that, was oh. it. that was it. I was thinking about <laughs> that. I, I wanted to be a pilot so badly, dude. You have no idea. And then I was just like, maybe I didn't want to be a pilot so badly. Maybe them telling me I was too tall to be a fighter pilot was a good thing. Because look at, like, do we even need pilots anymore? Like, nope. Like we have drones now, so I don't even know. We really don't. I would have been. I would have been a pilot for right. So it's like shit. And you know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of bad things that come with being a pilot and stuff like that. So I kind of I kind of dig the route I took. Like I wouldn't I I wouldn't really change it for except for like focus more on coding. And I, I mean, I have a master's in computer science too, and I just don't. I don't code anymore. You know what I mean? Like I understand coding and I understand what like the language, like basically what all the commands do, but I don't know how to write any more code anymore. I guess I could get back into it if I really wanted to, but I don't think I really want to. So anyway, wouldn't that suck though, if you were at OpenSea and you're like, Oh man, there's like a, there's going to be like a recession coming and then bam, they're like, yeah, you don't have a job here anymore. So we'll help you find a job, but, you don't have a job anymore. That would really, really suck. It really would. I know that happened to a lot of people during the pandemic. It caused a, a big chaos of uh, just people confused, people not knowing where their cat next cash flow is coming from. Because a lot of people that I found out work one job. They have one type of cash flow. So whenever that stopped coming in, it caused this this just just this whirlwind of emotions and uncertainty yep and that's multiple streams of income you gotta have it so you don't even need to invest a lot into creating a stream of income it's just that you have to get on the right path to 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 basically earn that income you have to find a niche or a hole in the market and then fill it with you but don't don't be too good for certain types of work. Again, you could be a copywriter on Fiverr or on Upworks, and yeah, you might get not get paid a lot of money right away. But the better you become, you become at it, the the more you're going to get paid. And just think, you're getting paid to learn how to be a copywriter. There's there's so many other jobs you could do on Fiverr and Upworks. It's just whether or not you want to put yourself in those categories and what you want to learn. Find something you want to learn, then go do it on Upworks and or Fiverr, whichever one you prefer, and then try to get paid to get better at it. And you just make more money. The better you get at something, the more money you make. So it's usually how it works. So then I actually see something else in the news here. Um, people are being served, legal, ser- like basically getting served with uh, – court paperwork, legal documents, basically, over the blockchain. How do you feel about that, Tim? Someone serves you with legal paperwork via blockchain, and you don't see it, and it goes to your hidden folder because you have you had no idea that you even, like, when someone airdrops or transfers something to you now on OpenSea, it literally goes to your hidden folder every time now. So... How do you feel about getting served legal paperwork in your to your wallet, Tim, and then having that go to 
your hidden folder and you don't see it for like months. And then all of a sudden you finally look in your, your hidden folder and there's some paperwork that has been put on the blockchain and you basically was served via blockchain, which basically is scary because most judges don't know shit about um, blockchain technology. So they don't know like things can be hidden, things can be auto-hidden, things like yeah. that. So it's confusing because I wouldn't want to be served like that because if you get served like that, you have no idea it's it's there. I don't look at my hidden folder at all. I don't know about you guys. But That's I what I was about to say. Things. Like I heard... Um, you made a good point uh, a couple of weeks ago. Well, a couple of weeks, maybe a month or so ago, whenever we was having talks about medical information being on a blockchain, we disagree. We agreed to disagree that day. But some, like you, I did agree with you on that some things don't need to be on the blockchain. And that is one of those uh, type of situations where I wouldn't want my business being done via blockchain. Because like I, you said, what if it's in the hidden folder? Yeah. Well, just imagine also you like some, you're going through something. Imagine you were married Tim, and you don't know you're getting served with like divorce paperwork, but everybody else, like you're asleep and they serve it to your, your blockchain wallet. And all of a sudden they see that you got served. Like everybody else knows you got served before you do. <laughs> so that's my question. Up. So it's like, that's my, that leads me to another question. Do you think there will ever be something created to hide, not hide, but create more privacy on the blockchain? Yeah, they're building things like that right now, private blockchains and all sorts of stuff. So there's private a privacy layer definitely needs to be somewhere, but then that centralizes blockchain, right? So there might be a privacy layer that Ethereum can come out with, but man, it's crazy to think about uh, that people could actually be served legal documents, or at least it just happened once, right? So I don't know how often it would happen, but it's pretty scary to see that kind of stuff. So you just don't know when you get it. Like that's 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 the scary part for me, at least, is that how in the world do you know whether you get it or not? You just don't. And people making decisions like court decisions without having the knowledge to understand like how it works like if you were a judge and you knew you know hey by the way i have i have i have a wallet and every time i get sent something that goes in my hidden folder so yeah you're not you're not going to be able to do that i'm not going to allow that in this case you cannot serve somebody with that because it's going to they're never going to see it so the whole idea of being served is people hire um process servers like a person goes to another person and goes hey i'm certain you've been served and like you cannot not be sure you were just served like the person literally has to say you've been served and hand you an envelope full of paperwork like that's how it goes i actually watched somebody get served once that's why i know how well how know how well it was some dude walked into like an office i was at and he's like I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but it was like John something. He's like, John something? I'm like, and the guy's like, yeah. And it looked like he seemed like a delivery guy. And he's like, he like hands him this envelope, this yellow envelope and goes, you've been served. And that guy, John, that I knew was like, got really upset about it. He was like, you know, F you. And I'm like, why are you mad at that guy? He just delivered you something. Like, what's the problem? 
It's like, no, man, I just got served court paperwork. I was like, oh, okay. Well, sorry to hear that, but I mean, isn't it good that you actually have it? And uh, I don't know, whatever. I think it's I think it's a good thing to like if you're gonna serve people with like legal documents and stuff, like it's gotta be in it's gotta be in public. So As with in, the, pan- it's with the pandemic, be, yeah, with the pandemic exposing a lot of the um, weak, I guess you want to say weaknesses to human beings and human interactions. What's the that's not an answer to if something like that was to happen again. And I know it's likely less to happen again soon, but we, you never know anything can happen at any moment. So do you think they're trying to find an answer to another situation like that through the blockchain? And you think that's what they're doing? You said uh, by serving legal documents through it? Yes. Or just finding alternate ways to get information to, uh, it's lazy. Yeah, so it's so here's the deal. Like people, I, I looked it up afterwards because I was like, why would they do this? Like, how desperate are they? A lot of people can't be found, like physically found to serve them paperwork. So some people are in other countries on you know that are operating on the blockchain because we we all know blockchain's agnostic to country. It doesn't matter where you are, you could be you know, operating on the Ethereum blockchain in the Philippines or the United States, but no no one would really know the difference. So to serve legal documents from a single country to, let's just say another, I don't know, I guess the United States serving legal documents to the Philippines would be pretty impossible. So instead, just serve it on the blockchain and all of a sudden your problems, the cost of serving them goes down to like literally like nothing. And I think, uh, I mean, it just saves people from having to chase people down to like serve them with legal documents. It's seriously the laziest way I've ever heard of serving people. It's like saying, Hey, I'm going to email them legal documents and that's going to count as them being served. But the thing is the reason why they don't do it over, they can't do it over email is because they'll never know if it went to junk mail. They'll never know, you know what I mean? Like same scenarios going on with blockchain. You can't serve someone with legal documents and know for sure that those people are going to see it because there is a junk mail folder on OpenSea. The hidden folder is the junk mail folder. And yeah, I mean, theoretically, just it's bad form. Anybody that thinks that it actually works and doesn't know doesn't know anything about the blockchain and that's what's scary about it is that someone's making a decision based on something they have no clue about so i really hope uh somebody none of this stuff actually goes forward because i I think it's a bad way of doing business and there's no guarantee that how do they even how are they even sure that that's somebody's wallet that they check on a regular basis you know, most people have, I don't know about you guys, but I, I have multiple, multiple wallets. So. So my question to you is, so yes, I definitely agree with what you're saying. Say 10, 20, 25 years from now, do you still see blockchain being around and do you see it um, being something greater than what it is. Do you see blockchain being around in 20, 30 years? Of course. Yeah. I mean, 
I think so. But then again, 20 years is a long time. Think about it. Like our, our current iteration of the web, like the web's really only been around in its current form, like the way we know it since like 2003 after the first dot-com bust, because before, like, I mean, I was around during the, before the first dot-com bust. Like I, I had friends in like 97 and 98 going to pitch, like dropping out of college, going to pitch their startup ideas in Silicon Valley because it was, they were like, oh, it's so easy. All you need is a PowerPoint presentation and a good idea. And they'll just give you $5 million and, you know, then that's my career. I'm going to make a bunch of money, you know, building a company. And those websites back then were mostly like, static informational websites there's not much interact that much interaction that could happen in like the late 90s like early 2000s it was like a web form you could fill out and barely like it was all coding there's no like plug and play web 2 type of tools like wordpress and things like that so um i have no idea what the web's going to look like in 20 years seeing that we've only been in this iteration of the web for 20 years like the entire internet history is like the year 2000 to right now and i would even argue it's the year two i don't know like when the inflection point we want to talk about is but it's like let's just say it's 2004 like when myspace came out uh myspace had just come out in like 04 and so if that's that's our barometer then i would say the web hasn't even been around for 20 years. Now, if, if you want to go off of like when people started using the web actively for like business and everything like that, I would say the year 2000. So the year, the web's only been around for 22 years total time. Like, I mean, it, it's been around longer than that clearly, but nobody really used it for anything. It was mostly chatting in chat rooms for me at least. And like crazy stuff like that is when I was a kid. So I don't know, man. It's tough. Like 20 years from now, no one's going to have a phone in their hand, probably. They're all going to have like glasses on, and that's about it. Maybe even contacts, you know, they might, might just be accessing the web in so many ways you can't even think of right now. So, blockchain, I have, I have no idea what variation blockchain will be in at that point, or whether we'll even call. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to call it. I don't know if we were going to, the name, the word NFT is even going to exist anymore because it's like, all you're going to, I think most people are just going to say is that on chain. And I think blockchain is also, uh, you know, it doesn't fix everything, right? Blockchain is dope, but it's not a fix to everything. You don't add blockchain to like everything and everything becomes better. No, in some cases you don't need it. Some cases it actually is a problem. Uh, again, HIPAA compliance, healthcare stuff, it's a problem, right? You, the privacy shield, I don't want people knowing my medical records online. Like people be able to Google or look up my medical records and like see what I'm going to the doctor for. Like that's weird. Imagine if, Tim, you're sick and you, you know, you basically go to the doctor for like something you don't want everybody knowing about. <laughs> like, you know, it could be anything, but eating, let's just say you ate a bad taco or something like that, right? And you went to the doctor and you're in, 
they put that out on the blockchain and everybody's like looking and all of a sudden like using that against you like on twitter going oh to went to the doctor everybody so looks. so what is this prophecy technology that you're referring to then that eth possibly is coming out with or ETH, i never said yeah i never said eth was coming out with anything so oh sorry about that, that. I'm, can no, you clarify okay. what you said yeah there's just people are working on private blockchains right now it's just to basically create these privacy shields so that you know blockchain can be used to create a record that cannot be that's basically immutable so that you can say hey this action behind this privacy wall absolutely did happen but you don't know what that action is it's just confirmed on the blockchain that you went to the doctor at 3 30 on a tuesday and that's never going to happen again so that that creates theoretically that creates an nft because that, that situation will never happen again you'll never go to the doctor on that date again because that date's passed same thing with like events right an event happened or it didn't the event that you're going to happened or didn't. The tickets were sold to you on this date or didn't, right? Or or you didn't get them, right? Do you want people knowing where you're going at exactly what time and day and everything like that? Do you want the entire world to know that? Who knows, right? What if you have an, a stalker and there's somebody out there like stalking you that you don't even know because that's what they call them stalkers. And you don't know you have a stalker a lot of times. You all of a sudden buy a ticket to go somewhere and they know exactly where you're, where you're going to be a week from today or two weeks from today. Um, there's certain things you just don't want people to know, right? You just tell your friends and that's it. Like you don't realize once something's publicly on the blockchain, like it's someone can just go and look it up anytime and it's always there. Like I, I myself would not want my medical records on the blockchain. I wouldn't want my personal stuff on the, the internet, let alone the blockchain. Would you want your medical records on the on the internet, Tim, where people could like look you up and say, "Ooh, Tim went to the doctor on Tuesday, and this is why he went to the doctor," right? Like, no, I don't think you do. I don't think anybody does. Like, nobody. That's why there's a thing called HIPAA compliance. Like, you can't even share data with like certain, I don't know, with certain companies and stuff like that. They want your information, and HIPAA compliance is like you, it's an information you cannot mess with. And that's that's people's medical records because they could be medical records could be used against you. They could be used to like bias somebody and like hiring you. They could be used to like bias somebody uh, for so many other reasons. So for and, uh, people, your health insurance can go up. Go ahead. So for people who aren't aware of where your medical records are stored right now, could you tap into that, like, or do you know anything? about where they're stored right now yeah i know it's not necessarily on the internet but can you go into it they're stored on a they're stored on a database inside of like a a secure system where you have you know you have access to it like i can log into my let's just say i can log into the organization i actually go to the doctor you know with or for um and log into the platform and, and look at my medical medical records and look at my, uh, not my medical records, medical records, but they can definitely see like the last time I went to the doctor, what it was for, things like that. And then if I wanted my medical records from that facility, I would just like submit a form and they would just send me all my medical records, like in hard copy. So even they don't send all your medical records via digital 
they they have to you actually have to go and like pick them up they make it difficult on purpose because they don't want you uh, or some strange person coming to get such private personal things here's a great example john f kennedy you know you know who that was right jfk jfk had bad medical conditions like pretty pretty bad he had a thing called addison's disease and he hid that from the public because he knew if people knew about his addison's disease or other medical conditions they would have perceived him as weak so that's an example of his personal although like they say the president of the united states is supposed to release their medical records and all that stuff in this case like when it's a hidden i guess they call these hidden sicknesses because you're not wearing like a, a broken you know like a cast around your leg or your arm or you don't have an eye patch on because you lost an eye or something like that these hidden medical um conditions are are ones that you just don't see by looking at somebody well jfk was tan he looked really really tan and people are like oh that's because he spent so much time in the sun don't get me wrong he probably did spend a lot of time in the sun too but it was mainly because he had a disease called Addison's disease, and it basically makes your skin uh, darker because of the condition he had, and it's taxing. So he had to be on this, uh, I believe it was called, uh, I think he was on some kind of steroids his whole life. So, I mean, he didn't want that leaked out, and, and people would judge him, and like, there's so many things that people could use against, like I said, when you're your health is on the line people can use it against you and in a negative way and be biased towards you so i say i say never put anything on the blockchain um unless it's like art or public easily accessible public data i, I don't think the data should become easier to get access to i don't think blockchain so like i said blockchain doesn't solve every problem so just my opinion Facts. Um, is it because things can be hacked easier than I, so? I, okay, it's information. Thing, so it's information. So think about this: Do you really want people knowing like all your information, or do you want not all that. your information just, on the web? That. It's the fact that you can create these blockchain. From my understanding, right, just from our conversation, there are blockchains that's going to be created that will have this privacy uh, shield shield right so with that being said it's like okay what can you store on it now now that i have this privacy shield you don't store so blockchain will probably be used for prov provenance like i said just to make sure that something has actually happened and that provenance of whatever that is can't be tampered with because it's it's decentralized like location um i think that's what people most companies will use it for i don't think they're going to store like anything on blockchain minus the provenance or the receipt of something happening what about like a graduation like a a uh, what about your diploma do you think diplomas will be on the blockchain. I don't know, man. I don't know. Do you really do you really want that? Your diploma stored on the blockchain so everybody can like just find it and see it and read it and see every piece of information about you and then use that against you to like do like some kind of like um social hack on you because they have all this information on you now. 
like don't forget every piece of information allows people that you release onto the web allows people to socially engineer something so they can like steal something from you so the more information the more data points they have the more they can t they can they, you make it easier for them to take things from you they can pretend to be you and go sign up for like a, a sign up sign up for a loan or sign up for a credit card or all sorts of stuff and all of a sudden you get got because of that no no man i think uh storing information on the blockchain is really good and i think storing information on the blockchain can be really really bad and like i said I, I don't think everything should be stored on blockchain it doesn't make sense to store everything on chain and anybody that thinks that everything should be stored on chain without any privacy shield or anything like that is i don't know what world they're living in but it's not a normal world because i mean you leak people leak information all the time um on the web there's data breaches all the time and that data gets leaked out to of per, people's personal information and that personal information is then used against them to manipulate or steal so i think it's a bad i think blockchain can be way worse than we all think but uh yeah if something public is happening that's cool but um putting something on blockchain like saying like i'm donating a hundred million dollars to this cause and like putting that donation on chain to say like look that actually really did happen cool artwork on blockchain cool like no one really cares and even then people use multiple wallets shadow wallets all that stuff to like protect their identity and like who owns some specific artwork right so even folks that are in crypto don't want their identity being shown. Like that's how much they don't like most people that are deep in blockchain and deep in like crypto, like they don't want their, that's why there's like this non-doxed people. They're real people in real life with real friends and real jobs and real everything. And they're doxxed to those people. They're just not doxxed to the rest of the like public because they kind of won't want to live like this, a life without, I guess you could say being non-doxxed allows you to live a life without being judged or held accountable for your, for your words or actions, right? So you could be some executive at Amazon and come in here as like fluffy kitten 69 um, on Twitter start like jumping in audio spaces and talking shit and like making all sorts of like transactions happen on the blockchain under like wallets that just have numbers on them rather than your identity and all of a sudden bam these people from amazon or that person that executive from amazon could easily be a troll yet he would never use his real personal information or his rep, he wouldn't want to ruin his reputation by jumping on Twitter and talking all sorts of smack to people or what they call shit posting, you know what I mean, about people or, you know what I mean, like doing all these like horribly slanderous stuff that happens on Twitter with these like, you know, fake profiles that people make that are like nothing, but they just decide, oh, I'm going to write a tweet storm about somebody that I just, that really just bothers me, that should be not written anywhere that should not even be vocalized anywhere it's like sending an email to like your your boss or to some person you don't get along with at work 
can I tell you, 99.999999% let's just say 100% of the time, you should never do that because it's usually based on emotion. And so our tweet threads, like slandering someone's name, you know what I mean? All sorts of stuff. Like, I just think, I don't know, man. Like I said, blockchain is good and blockchain could be bad. And it's good because it helps unbanked people um, have money and be able to transfer money back and forth to each other and like like third world countries or even, you know, countries that have like kind of like fallen apart. And I think it's good to keep, you know, getting people self-sovereign over their own assets and money. But I also think there's the, the bad side where if someone gets their stuff stolen, you can't get it back. That's insane to me. This is like, it feels like we went backwards uh, to like the 1800s where, you know, like you're in a small town and there's no law enforcement there. And some guy down the street decides he wants your horse. He steals your horse. No one there to, no one there to get it back for you. And he seems like a dangerous guy. So it's like, you can't get your horse back. Everybody knows he has your horse, but it doesn't matter. He has your horse. There's nothing you can do about it. There's no law enforcement to like help. Now, if you went to a larger town back in the 1800s and someone stole your horse, that person would be executed. Like that's how dangerous it was to steal a horse back then. So it's, uh, it's interesting because people are just like, yeah, no big deal. You know, uh, you had all your stuff wiped out or you had your, your, your board ape stolen. Okay. Sorry. Sorry for your loss. Uh, change your profile picture. And it's like, they have zero empathy for people too. It's, it's kind of crazy to think that, people could just steal and like get away with it. So I, I think right. it's almost like some, we need like some insurance, some type of insurance. That's why. I, what, I, okay. I so that. with that I argument, insurance. Yeah. You said what now? I looked into insurance. Like I looked into like starting an, uh, an insurance company or not, not insurance company, but an insurance product for NFTs. And I talked to three different insurance companies and they were all like, yeah, we don't even know how to like value these things. We don't know we can't determine whether or not someone really got hacked and stuff got stolen from them or whether or not they stole it from themselves. Like they don't, we don't know how it works. We don't know if they just transferred out something or they just didn't know how to do it. And I was like, well, it's pretty easy. I go, here's what you need. And they were like, yeah, no thanks. Like we'll stick with what we know. So go ahead, Tim. What was your rebuttal to that? Do you think insurance can be done or do you, is is that a no go to? No, I, I think it can be done. The thing is, like, you have to find out whether or not someone. Again, it easily you could easily, um, unless you have like great analysts and stuff like that. Like, you just don't know whether or not someone actually got their wallet hacked. I guess you could say, or they got. I guess there's a way to do it with like software, but it would be really, really difficult to do that and determine whether or not someone actually clicked on a link and got their wallet, like their items stolen. And yeah, it's just hard to, it's hard to go to assess whether or not that actually happened or someone made it look like that happened. And then they end up getting the NFT back in like another wallet that's theirs as well. So they could actually, theoretically, they could sell it to themselves in another to another, you know, blockchain account, um, another wallet, and you don't know if they're 
they sold it to themselves and then they so then they're now they're listing it for sale again and there's so many steps you'd have to follow for that stuff to be i don't know it's possible for sure insurance is possible for sure it's just whether or not like how much is covered what's the coverage look like what steps do you have to follow in order to make sure that when your nfts or an NFT gets stolen, like what steps you, you need to take in order to like file a claim. I think it would be really hard to like determine whether or not someone. It would, just, it would definitely yeah. be really hard in my personal opinion too. Yeah. You'd have um, to have really, really good analysts going, Hey, and not only that, it would be a regularly like you'd have to have people like on staff looking at it all the time. Like, every single insurance claim would have to be like analyzed to like the nth, the nth degree. So it, it seems like a lot of work um, for, I mean, a huge reward if you could figure this out. It's a huge reward if you could figure out, hey, this person got hacked or whatever the case may be. And now there's an insurance product because insurance, insurance is a great business to be in because of the float. People pay for insurance every year for all types of insurance and they never use it. So you get all that money floating is what they call it. Cause you're us- able to use that money to like invest in other things as an insurance company. Cause it's your company. So yeah, man, there's, there's a huge opportunity for uh, NFT insurance or digital asset insurance thing is you just have to make sure that, you know, you could determine whether or not, something was legit taken from you or was legit not taken from you. And there's gotta be some kind of algorithm you can build to do that. So. Right. Right. It's been a good morning, bro. Is it the coffee? I don't know, man. I haven't really drank too much coffee yet. I'm so I'm too busy talking. I like it. I like it. Some alpha in here, you know, very knowledgeable individual. Mr. Lucas B. Tell us about your PFP. What's up with what's up with that, bro? That thing is a cool cat, man. It's Ooh. a cool cat. It's cool as ice. But uh Is it, it cool actually, cool or it was, cool? Dude, cool. it was it was think about it, it was actually really cheap. Um this cool cat sold for eight. I think it was like eight ETH, like back in the day when ETH was thirty eight hundred bucks, and I got it for four, and ETH was only a thousand dollars. So I literally bought this cool cat for one ETH, the price of one ETH. Isn't that crazy? Sounds like it was a good price. It was just knowing that it was here's the reason why I got a cool cat too, is that I went to New York and their installation there in New York was dope. So you got, I don't know if you had a chance to check out the cool cats installation, but it was definitely worth checking out. Them and the doodles did a really good job again of like their, basically their user experience. And I'm a big fan of like user experiences. I talk about it all the time. And uh, for instance, like experience. what? What do you, what's that? For instance, like what? Um, as an example of what you're referring, like, can you give us an example? 
Yeah, so you could go to a party um, and be like, oh, that was a great party. But when you have like a built out consumer experience at like a, you know, you, you rent out this warehouse in New York and you build out like all these really cool features inside that warehouse and have like people coming through it. Like It's like they created a user experience a, in real life cool cats user experience so you went into this um, like it wasn't virtual it was a real experience you walked through these hallways and and through these uh these big rooms just filled with like a cool like just everything cool cat i mean it was just pimped out with uh, they made like a, a mini amusement park all this cool cat paraphernalia everywhere like these large you know basically blown up characters there were there was like a, a little bit of a what's it called uh obstacle course you, an obstacle course you could go through you could actually earn um tokens and every to like every tre treasure chest the rest like hidden around this like it looked like a mini golf range just like with a bunch of like really cool like very expensive installations like i said the absolute, uh, if you run the absolute course, you could have earned like 3,000 points. Those 3,000 points could be used to like go buy food or drinks or used on merchandise. You could literally get like free sweatshirts and all sorts of stuff just by scanning this bracelet they gave you as you walked in. So they gave you this bracelet that was a RF, RFID card. And every time you scan that bracelet onto like a chest you found, like a treasure chest, or every time you like ran the obstacle course, you could get 3000 points. Um, it was interesting. So each treasure chest was like between five and 700 points. And like I said, the, the there was an obstacle course. There was a couple of other things too. You could literally have earned thousands and thousands of points and got merch for free by coming into the cool cats installation. So I thought it was pretty cool. They stayed on brand and like everything they served for drinks was like very cool cat they served like milk it wasn't really milk but it was uh you know stuff that was made like horchata you know what horchata is anyway it's a i don't it's a, what is horchata? it's a tasty it's a tasty drink that you should definitely know what it is man you're in phoenix baby like you definitely know it. you should definitely go find some horchata today i need to so i'll figure out how to spell that later but is that a restaurant or what is it like a, a it's just a drink it's it's actually really good just google it i'll, I'll send you the link uh i'll send you how, how to spell it but once you look it up you'll understand it you probably had it before maybe you haven't but if you haven't it's probably going to be one of your new favorite drinks i think it's really good horchata yep and they they colored the horchata like white so it looked like milk and stuff like that and it is i think it is milk based anyway so does it taste good with almond or oat milk because i'm not really a milk drinker it's not that at all. It's neither of those. So it's flavored depending on what you're drinking. So it depends. Anyway, short story long, it was uh, it was a really good user experience. And so was the uh, so were the doodles, right? But the doodles were the price of the doodles floor is like 14 ETH. And there's no way I could get into that. But spending one ETH on uh, cool cat i was like you know what i just like the idea of being having a cool cat and after that user experience that sold me i was like okay they definitely have a really good 
I think they have a good future. Maybe I could be wrong, but, uh, you know, this cool cat spoke to me and I was like, this one fits me. And I always buy art because I like the art, not because of the, you know, anything else. The first is always, I have to like the art. If I don't like it, I don't, I don't buy into the project. Simple as that. That's like 90% of the, the deal. So yeah, that's that's why I got this. That's why I have this cool cat because the ex- user experience I, ex- I experienced and also the art was just really dope. And it was ETH is cheap, so unfortunately, uh, the cool cat I bought, someone paid a lot of money for a, a long time ago. So ETH is definitely cheap right now. Um, I don't know. Speaking, let's let's wait to the market for a little second. Um, yeah. Do you think this is a bull trap because of a, I think somebody told me there was a merger happening today, but I got to look more that. into that. I don't know anything about a merger. Does anybody know anything about a merger? I don't think so. You mean the merge or a merger? It was probably the first one. Like I said, I'm going to have to go back and read uh, yeah, one. so the merge means the proof of stake versus proof of work. Like that's the merge that's happening with blockchain right now. So that's going on. They pushed it back a little bit, but that's what's that's what's basically happening is this proof of stake versus proof of work. Right now we're in proof of work until the merge happens. It's proof of stake. So that is going to drastically affect how ETH works. Um, ETH isn't going to, I don't know what ETH is going to do. If anybody really knew what ETH was going to do, they'd be rich beyond their wildest dreams. Yeah, I was told I was a, uh, a fortune teller, and I want you to know ETH is going to be at a million dollars. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> what about Bitcoin? Bitcoin's future. Are you a Bitcoin I, maxi? Are you a, a fan no. of it? I, I I definitely see the digital gold value of it, but I just don't uh, I don't own I currently don't own Bitcoin. So I do. If you see the digital gold value of it, what's stopping you from holding some of these? You'd have to hold a lot of Bitcoin for it to change your life. So if you had like five or 10 Bitcoin, that's, that could be life changing money, but five Bitcoin, even at $19,000 is still a hundred grand. So yeah, you need to have a lot of money to get into that stuff. And do I want to tie up a hundred thousand dollars in digital gold or do I want to tie up a hundred thousand dollars into betting on myself i'd rather start a company with a hundred thousand dollars and have that company do really really well than to rely on the market conditions of like billionaires that are involved in bitcoin right now because they control the market of bitcoin so yeah that's that's how i feel at least i like to bet on myself more than i like to bet on uh, currencies facts Good times. So, do you want to bring some people up to see if they have any like questions? Yeah, let's do that. Come up and say what up. 
Yeah, but I know Leslie is one. down there. She's probably working hard. I see you, Leslie. She's been here for a while, too. Yeah. She's probably working, though. You're live.fm with Lucas. I think this is, I think this is like a, a very successful first episode, guys. What do you guys think? Yep, I agree. I agree, Leslie. I think it went very well. Um, learned a lot. Talked about some uh, interesting things. I don't know. I feel like it was a great first day. Right? So, yeah, Wednesday we have an interview with Evan from uh, Mintify and uh, a couple other people this week, too. So we're going we're gonna to have uh, – we're going to be doing this show every single day. So if you guys are curious, every day from, like, 6 a.m. to – either 7 30 8 o'clock on the pacific pacific time um pretty early on my side but you know what and tim's side because we're both on pacific time right now but no big deal we do it for you guys so every single day of the week so monday through friday six to like eight pacific time or nine to eleven a.m uh eastern time so hopefully we'll see you guys tomorrow and uh thanks for coming out you guys rock. You guys do rock. Appreciate you. Thank you, Lucas Bain. Thank you, yeah. everyone. Talk to you later. Definitely. Bye, everybody.